Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Monday, the 25th of October. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. We're going to get out there into the world that God so loves, and we're going to shine forth the gospel. This is the uh, your go be shiny encouragement of the day. Not that people would see us, but that by our good works, by our love, they would see Jesus. So one international headline to lead us off this morning in terms of, you know, what I like to call hashtag pray the news Um, We have talked in the past on occasion about Sudan. Um, Faith McDonald is a friend of mine in Washington, D.C., and Sudan is her heart. And so uh, I I have Faith McDonald in my prayers this morning as I was reading these these headlines out of Sudan uh, and the military coup there, or what appears to be a military coup. So Sudan's military has detained the prime minister. Uh, The armed forces took the prime minister to an undisclosed location. They are calling it house arrest, but he has not been heard from. The rest of the civilian leadership as well um, has been detained, I think is the word we're, uh, we're using this morning. The American envoy to Sudan was there on Saturday as protests across the country gained traction. Um, Sudan has been plagued with unrest since 2019. It has a history of um, cutting internet access in order to silence opposition voices. And so that is going on as well. Um, So it was two years ago uh, that uh, al-Bashar, who was the dictator, was um, ousted in a coup, um, in what we would describe as like a civilian coup two years ago. Um, And now the military is, is resisting the civilian government um, moving into democratic elections and uh, and the institution of a full democratic governance. And so that's what's taking place there. So let's be praying for the people of Sudan and, um, you know, for the will of the people, the democratic will of the people to um, to prevail. Uh, and then a word today about the weather. Um, so we have been praying with our neighbors in California that the rain would come. Uh, they have been in a historic drought, and we've been praying that the rain would come. Well, the rain has come, and the rain has come in a measure that is greater than uh, the uh, you know the soil can readily absorb, and so that produces flooding, and it produces mudslides in those places where there have been forest fires. And so, California is a mess this morning, and so let's be praying for. People, particularly in Northern California, in Southern California, as the rain heads that direction, uh, the language of um, bomb cyclone is being used. Uh, California residents are told to prepare to evacuate as a bomb cyclone threatens to dump 10 inches of rain in the next 24 hours. Um, For those of you who live in parts of the country where bomb cyclones come in frozen form, 
um, you would be talking about a blizzard, but uh, this precipitation is not going to be frozen, and it's going to come in a volume that's going to bring down uh, what could be deadly landslides. And so let's be let's be praying for folks there. Across the country, there are actually weather concerns uh, through the middle of the week. And so let's just be praying for one another, upholding one another, preparing as best we can. Um, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. That is the text that came to mind this morning as I was considering this. And so I reminded myself of the context of um, of those words from Jesus. And the context is the Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, Jesus is teaching here about the love of enemies. And that's that's where he says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And so let's read that verse in context. So I'm reading here from Matthew chapter 5, picking up at verse 43. You have heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. We're going to turn in our conversation this morning um, with Dave Buring to the question of guarding our hearts. How, how do we guard our hearts? That conversation up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Dave Buring is back today. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning. Hey, good morning, Carmen. Good morning. So we want to talk today about heart attacks, uh, particularly attacks on our hearts. And so mm. talk with us about, you know, the, the, the current condition of our heart being under attack. Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? I I was just up in Pittsburgh for the last week and and uh, spoke a lot in a lot of different settings and that conversation kept emerging of all the different challenges before people right now you know talking to uh, business leaders who are struggling because of either lack of staff or you know the supply chain issues talking to other people about still their concerns of covid and do I wear a mask do I get vaccinated and then you're, you know, you're just dealing with the the normal things of life that that are challenges. So it was interesting just to, again, listen, talk, answer questions. But people are are really wrestling with the, the condition of where we are. And um, not to say the least is the changes in church life. You know, pastors who are mm-hmm. was with who are saying, you know, there seems to be a number of our people that just prefer now to stay home. And they're watching online, they're giving, but they're not engaging in fellowship. And so pastors find them their hearts concerned about things going on. So lots lots of stuff happening out there. Yeah, I'm increasingly um, aware of the divisions among us. Yeah. And I see those divisions, Dave, um, not just, you know, sort of writ large on the headlines of the day, you know, people screaming at each other on social media, but um, I see them within congregations and then even more mm-hmm. acutely within families. Um, yeah. You know, there, there are houses divided. Like our, our hearts are under attack many times by those closest to us. Yeah, it, it's true. I found myself yesterday 
uh, in preaching at a church, I was doing a uh, a series on uh, some of these areas of of guarding our hearts. And one of the places we were actually talking about was uh, dividing and how the enemy, part of his, you know, attack package is dividing. And, you know, how, you know, I tease, I said, well, let's just pick a topic. How about masks and no masks and vax and no vax? Of course, everybody's attention was there. And I just said, look, we, we've got to realize there's a bigger issue at play here. And that is the enemy has a strategy to use the events right now to really divide the body of Christ. And we have to stop it. We we have to stop. And I, I said, can I give you a suggestion? The suggestion is this. Do your research. Talk to medical people you know personally. Pray about it. And then whatever people decide, stand with them. Mm. Just stand with them. Because for the sake of unity, we, we, we've got to see this as a bigger deal. And I, I, I'm reminded of Ephesians where Paul says, be eager to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. And, and I'm finding a lack of being eager. And so I'm, I'm trusting that as, as we look at these things, we will realize there's a bigger thing here at play. And we've got to step back. And we as the body of Christ need to guard the unity that God's given us. So, Dave, I want to talk about I want to talk about guarding our hearts specifically, and I think we often think of this as as completely personal. And so, I want to talk about how we, as individuals, guard our heart. But I also think that that what you and I have just scratched at is the reality that the heart of the church, the heart of the body of mm-hmm. Christ, is also under attack. And so mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we can apply this conversation to us individually and then also apply it, you know, to the church as the body of Christ, uh, you know, as a heart that is under attack in the world today as well. Do you think that we could do that after the break? Absolutely. All right. Uh, Dave Buring and I are going to look at not only the attack we are under, but how to guard our hearts individually and then collectively as the body of Christ. How do we guard the heart of the church in these days? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You're my defender. Continuing our conversation with Pastor Dave Buring, you can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. Um, Dave, what are the scripture passages that leap to your mind when we start a conversation about guarding our hearts? Well, I think of, you know, passages that deal with things like uh, like repentance, and there's numerous portions of scripture around that thing, because repentance means I'm willing to own my own stuff. I think you know, there's a, the, the one-two punch for me of starting this is, is I like to call it run to repentance and be fast to forgive. Mm. And, and, and when I think of repentance, you know, Jesus often called people to repentance. We leave in, in Paul's writings and we see in the book of Acts that, that this is just the key that God has offered repentance to, our all, to us all. And that's the, that's the owning of our own sin. And it's a, it literally means a turning away from it towards Jesus. And I think, you know, in the days that we're living in, as we were just chatting about Carmen, it's not only individually, but it's as families. It's as the family of God, the body of Christ. I think as small groups, as churches, it's like it's it's a healthy thing to pause once in a while and then just invite the Holy Spirit to show us, is there any place in my heart that's not right? Is there any attitudes that I'm carrying? Is there any relationships that are out of sorts and, and to start with running to repentance by being quick 
to respond when you need to say, Lord, I repent, which again means I own this. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and then also, you know, with it, it is being fast to forgive. It's, it's amazing to watch how people are getting caught up in this unforgiveness thing and just carrying it. And I, and I've watched this over many years, how like the best way I can describe it is it's like this unseen cancer that consumes us from the inside out. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why Jesus encourages us to forgive. Uh, it's both for ourselves and for the sake of relationship. But th- those are two areas for me that I think when we talk about guarding our hearts, we have to begin with. Yeah, running to repentance and then um, being fast to forgive, I just think um, are, are so great. Let's talk also about, you know, opting out of offense. Yeah, it, it, this is a big one. I mean, I see people collecting offenses like, you know, they would collect a, something in a hobby. It's And, the, and I think the, the difficult thing for me is I don't think we always realize we're doing it. We, we hear a friend, you know, say something, I can't believe X, Y, and Z, and then we, we take it on and begin to run with it. Well, I can't believe that either. Can you imagine blah, 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 and before you know it, it's it's something we're passing on to other people, and it's it's an interesting thing because Paul, in Romans, um, talks about staying away from those people that cause offenses. So in other words, Paul saw this dynamic of how it gets on us, and then you know we start carrying it, and and it's it almost becomes Carmen like a a tool of the enemy that that he divides and gets us all worked up. And then we, you know, when you're offended, you never keep it to yourself. You always talk about it with somebody. And, uh, and, and there's a Greek word uh, for it called scandalon, which, of course, we get the word scandal from. And the idea is the enemy wants to cause a scandal. And uh, I think this is something we have to, in the day we're living in, be more aware of than ever, than ever is, am I picking up somebody else's offense? So it's not only our offenses we pick up, but it's collecting others. Um, both, both a failure to forgive and um, a collecting of offenses. I like see those when we start talking when we're you know in this conversation about the heart. I see both of those as like clogging up the arteries mm. of of the flow of Christ's love. Like mm. I, if you wanna if you wanna fill up your you know fill up the arteries of your uh, of your heart, um, unforgiveness and and the collecting of offenses. Men, those are those aren't just roots of bitterness. Like those those will clog the arteries of the blood flow of God's love in your life. Mm, yeah, and I, you know, I've come to a conviction myself, and I'm not putting this on anybody else, but a, a conviction myself that I think carrying offenses is actually sin. And I'll tell you why. You you never you know how God in the way that we live our life He wants to give us grace to love people to walk in peace to be empowered to do the things He's asked us to do. With offense, you never have grace to carry it. It's always this heavy, you know, get the heartbeat rating, get the veins bulging as you yell and upset and and I, I just think it's it's actually something that's become very very destructive both to the person carrying it. And to the people who end up hearing our words, kind of vomiting it on other people. And so I think it's one of those things that we can repent of and ask the Lord to help us not have this habit of collecting these things, because that, that's a great imagery. It clogs the arteries of our own health and our relationships with other people. 
Mm. So let's talk about um, what we can do. Like, what yeah. are some of the things that we can pro? Well, I don't even know if they're all proactive because, right, the first of it is just receiving a new heart. Like, right, I love yeah. the, uh, I love the passage. Remind me, is it in Ezekiel? Yeah, um, where yep. God talks about giving us a new heart. Can you remind us of that? Yeah, Ezekiel thirty-six. In this verse is 26 and 27, it says, and I will give you, this is God speaking, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, meaning soft, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Yeah, a soft heart, a heart that is... um seeking after God, open to mm-hmm. the things of God, trusting mm-hmm. God. Um, maybe Proverbs 3 comes to mind there, trusting in the Lord with all my heart. Yes. Um, you yeah. know, so I just, there are some good heart passages in the Bible. I also, you know, I'm reminded that there are times that God cuts us to the heart. Like that's one yeah. of the, one of the things that happens as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing we have to realize is God is always after my heart. He's always after mm. your heart. And, and it's like one of the things that I, I just, it's kind of always before me is that he loves me so much that he's after my heart to do what we just read about there in Ezekiel, to remove the hardness and even the, the crusty places there that you don't know until you bump into it. Um, one of the phrases I like to use a lot uh, in my discipling of others is your reactions are windows to your heart. So think about that. Your reactions are windows to your heart. So if you really want to know where your heart is, pay attention to your reactions because they reveal what's really going on inside of you. And I find that, you know, if we can kind of get on that track, it allows people to really grow fast. Because, for example, if you let's just say somebody invited you to go do something, but you know, you were just seized inside with fear. Now you're acting on the outside that it's all good and you're cool and all that, but inside there's fear. It's important that at some point later, maybe that day that you pause and go, okay, now why did I react like this? Why Mm -hmm. did I have fear? Because here's the thing, Carmen, it's the Holy Spirit in us revealing what's really there. And so that way I can respond and whether it's for, you know, repentance or forgiveness or whatever the case may be. Uh, Think about this in our lives when you, um, you know, someone walks by you and normally would pause me and say, hey, Dave, how are you? And they don't and they don't look at you. And then I'm standing there feeling rejection. Okay, I got to pay attention to that and realize, okay, now why? Because they're probably just busy. They're on their way. Their mind was on something else. And who knows? It might have been something tragic they were having to rush off to help with. And they didn't say hi, but I'm sitting there, my heart reacting in rejection. If, if I'm willing to take that and say, okay, God, thank you for revealing this to me. And I'm bringing it to you. And I'm asking that you would do a work in my heart that I would realize that I'm accepted in you, that I, I you know, pick this thing up, uh, read into something. God, would you heal my heart? So, Carmen, I think in the day that we're living in, more than ever, we have to realize our reactions are windows to our heart, but it's God's way of showing us what's really, really there so he can help us. All right. Um, as I'm thinking about uh, the signs that we sometimes ignore in relationship to an impending heart attack, um, lots comes to mind. There are a lot of things that come to mind. And so let's just encourage everybody, you know, like, right, spiritual uh, diet, spiritual exercise, rest, 
um, checking in with uh, with those who are good at examining our hearts. So accountability, Christian fellowship. And mm-hmm. let's just say that, you know, if God's sending you signs like pain, um, blood pressure, increased heart rate, like rate, both physically and spiritually, mm-hmm. those um, those are good reminders that, you know, God is the God of our hearts, both physically and spiritually. And so um, our hearts are under attack. The enemy is absolutely interested in uh, dividing, deceiving, damaging, and ultimately stopping uh, not mm-hmm. only the individual heart of the Christian, but the heart of the church as well. So um, it's under assault, it's under attack, and we got to guard against it. Dave, as always, um, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for this conversation about guarding our hearts today. So important. Thanks, Carmen. Always fun to be with you. Absolutely. That's Dave Buring. You can find him at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. And Jesus said, they will know you are Christians by the divisions among you. Yeah, no, that's not what he said. They will know you are Christians. Um, They will know we are Christians by our love. Like, wait, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So CBS News, uh, three days ago, ran a piece called An Uncivil War, The Evangelical Divide. There are divisions among us um, as Christians in America today. The world is talking about us in ways that are unbecoming to Christ. And so we're going to talk about that uh, up next with Daniel Bennett. He and I will also cover some headlines related to the abortion law in Texas and what the Supreme Court is up to in relationship to religious liberty. That's all up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Most parents who demand perfection don't realize it's the very cause for the huge dent in their relationship. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I once heard a kid say, it's funny to me that we had the most messed up family in our whole neighborhood and our yard was prettier than everyone else's. I think it was my parents' way of pretending that we had it all together. Here's a helpful tip. Give permission to your kids to be imperfect, flawed. Your teen will relate and respect you when they see you having both wisdom and imperfection. And they will feel a sense of connection with you, knowing that you aren't validated by what they do, but by who they are. That dent in your relationship will disappear as you let go of perfectionism. Relax. Nobody's perfect. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Daniel Bennett. Um, so one of the things that Daniel does is posts on the Uneasy Citizen blog. You can find it on Substack, Daniel Bennett. He also serves at John Brown University. Welcome back, sir. Thanks very much. All righty. So um, let's jump into what is going on at the Supreme Court. They're going to take up oral arguments one week from today in what I will describe as like a fast pass case. What's going on? Yeah, so this is in response to Texas's SB8, the bill that uh, effectively uh, prohibits abortion after uh, six weeks of pregnancy, which for a lot of women would be (laughs) before they realize that they're pregnant. Um, But the bill is unique in the sense of the enforcement. I'm sure you guys have talked about it before. 
just that uh, the, the government, the state government doesn't have the power to enforce it. It's actually on private citizens to file lawsuits against uh, abortion providers and anyone who's helping in the process. Um, that's unique, but it also makes it difficult to challenge the law in court. And so the question the court's going to answer next week is, does the federal government have the ability to, to, to sue? Do they have standing in the legal sense? Hmm. And so what will be the pro and con arguments that you would expect we will hear? So the state of Texas is going to say that there's, uh, first of all, there's no uh, harm done to this point. Um, They can't point to an instance of uh, somebody being harmed. And that's a key point for the standing argument. Uh, The government's going to say this has the chilling effect on uh, what the government sees as a constitutional right established in, in Roe v. Wade. Um, so the Supreme Court is going to have to to handle those arguments and uh, decide who comes out on top. All right, let's um, let's jump from there to uh, a, another conversation that's going on in Texas, and this would be an amendment that would bar the state from limiting or prohibiting attendance at worship services. What's going on there? So it's obviously in response to uh, the pandemic uh, and uh, pandemic era regulations on business closures and church closures. Now, I I wasn't super familiar with the regulations in Texas. I get the sense that uh, the state never did anything. Uh, I imagine some local entities, especially in larger areas, tried to limit Mm -hmm. attendance and like in Houston, Dallas, those kinds of areas. So basically it would prohibit uh, any government body from uh, interfering with uh, attendance levels at, uh, at religious uh, institutions, so churches, synagogues, mosques, etc. Which there, see, there Daniel, be, just yeah, go yeah, ahead. I just no, just as soon as we say that, like right, people, I think, begin to recognize and widen the aperture of the way they were thinking about something, um, because as soon as we remind one another that when we talk about religious liberty for one group of people, we are absolutely talking about that same religious liberty for everyone else. And so, uh, yeah. Con- yeah, I mean, conversations about limiting or prohibiting attendance at worship services for particular, um, you know, in particular times or in relationship to particular concerns that the state might have, like there, you know, there are a range of topics there that are not limited to uh, things related to the coronavirus. Yeah, no. Obviously, it uh, it obviously extends beyond this particular moment. It was a it was a unique moment in our in mm-hmm. our history in the sense that the government really hadn't had an interest in doing those types of things before. Uh, so this is definitely a proactive amendment to the state constitution, saying we're not going to be doing this again. Um, but yeah, two two points, like you mentioned. Uh, you can support this, but know that by supporting it, you also have to support it for other religious institutions. And I hope that, mm-hmm. that Christians are not only comfortable with this, but actually happy to do so for theological and political and cultural reasons. Um, I think, I think though, uh, people of faith, sincere Christians could be somewhat concerned that uh, if there is a good faith effort, and that's the key, right? If there's a good faith effort by the government to... Uh, prohibit uh, or limit attendance at all public areas, right? Whether it's religious or not, that by carving out religious space and not allowing uh, the same types of regulations to apply equally, there could be a like a backlash effect. Um, but that all depends on whether the government's regulations are in fact some, uh, good faith and, and and applied equally to begin with. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move to what I'm going to just consider a really big subject matter area. All right, so we talk about evangelicalism or we talk about the evangelical tradition in the United States. I immediately recognize that we have to we have to narrow that down. And so I want to talk specifically about um elite versus populist evangelicalism, um white versus non-white evangelicalism so that we can have um more clear communication not just between you and I but culturally when we're when we're talking about what's going on um it, with Christians in the culture today yeah whenever whenever someone uses a term like evangelical uh your first question ought to be well which which tradition are we are we talking about here because um, I think if you compare, say, white evangelicals and black Protestants, that's how a lot of social scientists describe the two two groups. Um, black Protestants have some strikingly similar theological convictions as white white evangelicals in terms of a personal uh, relationship with Jesus, biblical inerrancy, social conservative values in many ways. But that manifests very different politically, right, with more of an emphasis on uh, like social justice and civil rights issues among black Protestants for obvious reasons. Uh, so we can't use the term to cover the multitude of, of the Christian community. Um, and, and what I think has been interesting in the past few, past few weeks is this uh, dialogue of, the, of a schism between evangelical elites, as they've been described, and then the rest of evangelicalism, the populist wing of evangelicalism. And when we when we talk about elites, uh, evangelical elites, or we talk about uh, populist evangelicalism, can you just maybe describe those two yeah. groups or camps or well, I don't even know sure. what the language is? Yeah. So on the on the one hand, it's kind of it, it's kind of tricky to define. Uh, one way to do it would be well, an evangelical elite is someone with a significant uh, cultural platform. So someone like uh, Russell Moore or David French or Tim Keller, you know, would certainly be seen as an elite in evangelicalism. Those probably aren't too controversial. Um, whereas uh, the, the populist evangelicals are basically anyone without a significant voice in the culture. So this is the vast majority of evangelicalism um, at, our, at our congregations on Sunday morning. Uh, like I go to a PCA church here in Siloam Springs. You know, the vast majority of the members of my church, uh, they they don't have that voice, uh, it, it, not only in the community, but certainly uh, around the country. You could also characterize elite evangelicalism as working in elite institutions of some kind. So in some sense, I guess I'm an elite evangelical being teaching at a Christian university. Uh, you're an elite evangelical having a, a radio platform. Um, but I think a lot of the discussion lately has boiled down to uh, – the kind of drawing lines about motives and who should be taken more seriously at this particular cultural moment. And that's been the really interesting conversation that's come up. All right. Um, during this very brief pause, I am going to examine how many followers on social media Daniel and I have, and we're going to decide whether or not we're elite. That's <laughs> up next from morning I can tell you, I can tell you that <laughs> we're I'm not, not elite, but that's okay. I know. I can tell you based on that we're not. All right. We're going to be right back. This is a new All right, uh, 
My examination yields that um, I have 4,145 followers on Twitter, and therefore I, I am not. Uh, I, I am not statistically elite at all by any stretch of the imagination in um, in the culture today. Um, but, Daniel, you're right when you make the observation that because you teach where you teach and because you have a following, um, you know, on a blog, on a Substack, um, and and because I have a radio platform and um, and I'm a published author, let's say, let's say those mm-hmm. are things that in in some people's minds qualify us as among the quote evangelical elite, and yet um, there are people with huge social media followings who. You know, they don't have a, and again, this is where, you know, I sound like an elitist when I say it, but they don't have a seminary education. Um, they they haven't uh, gone through the process to have their thoughts vetted and edited, um, you know, in, uh, prior to publication. They are just out there spewing on social media platforms and and institutions have been totally disintermediated. Like they, they've been totally sidestepped and bypassed. So when I think about the evangelical elite... Um, I have to ask the question, are the elite not the people who are being paid attention to by huge numbers of people, not those who happen to have degrees and or titles and or official platforms? Yeah, no, I think I think uh, I think that's exactly right. And th- this is not a, uh, a lament that, that we are not elite, I hope. Right? No, and obviously not. But, obviously but not. no. But, so but, but, but that's a saying, challenge, right? It's absolutely a challenge, and I think part of the problem is, uh, and and this is where I come back on this. I'll just I'll just say it. I think this discussion is entirely contextual. So mm. if you have a relatively large social media following, but you haven't, uh, but maybe you're looking at someone else who disagrees with you on certain core, you know, maybe political or cultural issues, not theological ones. And uh, it's almost easy to dismiss that person as, well, they're just an evangelical elite, whereas I am, you know, I'm speaking for the people, so to speak. (laughs) Um, And it just creates this unnecessary and unproductive rift within our community. I was talking to your producer during the break and, um, you know, seeing as, you know, being or publishing in the New York Times, the Atlantic is often seen as a marker of elite of evangelicalism. Um, because it's seen as this ability or this effort to try to curry cultural or social favor uh, or try to – and someone like Russell Moore is kind of – and David French are kind of held up as the exemplars of this. I mean point to me to an example where they have you know, strayed from biblical doctrine or – and you know, I'm, I'm talking about Karen Swallow Pryor in the New York Times writing for, for pro-life policies right, unapologetically. That's not currying social favor. She's trying to share that that word with a much broader readership than she would ever get in other more traditional Christian pop- or publications. So I, I don't know how productive the conversation ultimately is beyond looking at the other and saying, well, they're the real problem in our community. <laughs> and I think that that's an issue for evangelicals to reckon with. Yeah. So I think that part of my frustration and challenge is that it's— it, it's Christians who are cutting one another up and cutting one mm. another down instead of recognizing mm. that we really are all trying to uh, work together to achieve a common voice in a culture that is uh, 
largely disinterested in Jesus. And one of the reasons they're disinterested in him is because they look at us and they're like, who would want to be like that? Who would want to be in that mess? And so, you know, I feel like there's a testimony and a witness issue uh, that is just huge. Absolutely. Um, there was a, there's been some recent pieces about elite evangelicalism. Mark Galley, uh, former mm-hmm. Christianity Today editor, wrote a piece on his Substack that drew a lot of attention. David French responded. Carl Truman at Grove City College responded. Um, and so that there's a, there's a whole dialogue going on that your, that your listeners can, can catch up on. But I, I, I really, I really do think it comes back to treating our motives as just giving us, giving your brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt here, um, and not portraying them as the worst possible versions of themselves. So, you know, I think this cuts both ways. Um, if you know, if you have a a friend or a neighbor or a someone in your congregation who voted for, say, Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Um, understanding that they're not seeking the downfall of the country when they voted for them, but rather maybe they had some good reasons to do so in their mind. Similarly, if you have someone critiquing Joe Biden or Donald Trump, maybe it's because they sincerely believe those things and are worried, and it's not to curry favor with non-Christian, uh, non-Christians in our community or non-Christians in the elite world. So I think Christians do have to be careful um, but also, you know, don't be afraid to give each other the benefit of the doubt, knowing that we're all fallen, but we're all trying <laughs> to to be mm-hmm. emissaries for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let's let's act like you and I uh, have the ability to look into the future at all. Um, and let's talk about what we think we see in terms of the future of the evangelical witness uh, in America. Wow. Um, well, I think you, you hit on something earlier with the, you know, basically the democratization of influence. Uh, you're going to see a lot less emphasis on having traditional uh, pathways to influence in the United States. It used to be that you had to go to college, you had to get, a, get that seminary degree, write those books, Nowadays, if you have a large enough social media following, you can basically shape the dialogue in, in some pretty important ways. And so I, I don't see any reason why that would stop, um, whether or not that's a good thing. Uh, you know, it's a different thing. I do think that there are going to be opportunities for Christians to be more of and this term gets abused. So apologies, but more of a prophetic voice in a position of, of cultural minority, because um, for most of our country's history, right, uh, Christians and especially lately evangelicals have been in that dominant position. That's changing just culturally and demographically. Um, so how can we react to that new position and culture, keeping in mind that the church has often thrived and regularly thrived in those types of positions? So mm-hmm. uh, that's my, I mean, I'm terrible at predictions. After the last couple of elections, I don't do it anymore. But looking <laughs> ahead, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me if that's where we're headed. Right. So um, I will take the, um, the the bright, shiny, optimistic view and say um, there's a revival coming hmm. and evangelicals individually and corporately need to be prepared to shepherd um, a wave of new Christians who are going to come to Christ in the midst of, of a day and a time um, when organized churches maybe have in large measure um, given up on individual discipleship 
And so mm. each and every one of us as an evangelical Christian needs to be prepared to shepherd the heart of another brand new baby Christian, because I think there are millions of people coming to Christ in the foreseeable future. And I think that um, if if we are genuinely evangelical, then we're good news people, not just to the point of conversion, but but through the process of discipleship. So there you go. I'll I'll have that be my forecast. May it be. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, as always, um, thank you so much. You guys can follow Daniel Bennett on his Substack, danielbennett.substack.com. Daniel, as always, great to have you. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Yes, I had a great time in Hartford. Thank you to all of those of you uh, in the Hartford listening area who were so gracious uh, over this past weekend. Thank you uh, to those of you who came for a time of fellowship on Saturday. It was a joy to meet you face-to-face. It was a joy to engage with one another in delightful conversation. Um, I love what I have the privilege of doing each and every day here on Mornings with Carmen. It wouldn't happen without you. Um, And so thank you so much for being a part of this community of believers that gathers here together um, to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. It's a joy to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves to do, to do so in ways that honor Jesus. Like that's, that's my goal. Um, And I just, I thank God that he gives us the grace every single day to accomplish his will. So um, let's be looking forward to the day that God has set before us. Let's be uh, really searching out those divine appointments that God has set. God has prepared good works in advance for each and every one of us to do. And he has fully equipped us by the power of his Holy Spirit to accomplish his will. So what fun it's going to be in the hours that lie ahead to discern, you know, what are those things that God has prepared for me to do today? And then for each and every one of us, just go and do the next right thing, the next righteous thing, the next good thing, the next beautiful thing, the next glorious thing. We have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. One of our favorite conversation partners, Dr. Linda Mental, will be here. And then we're going to hear from one of your very, very favorites. Andrew Peterson is going to be with me. The book is God of the Garden. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.